Thank you, Dr. Steve. Uh, one thing that we, we should point out <laughs> is uh, since the convocation for our diocese, which happened just a few weeks ago, which was a really sweet time together, which uh, led to some, some pretty important things that are coming down for our diocese that we are a part of, the Diocese of St. Anthony. So if that's news to you, we are part of a diocese, and we have a number of churches that we are in this diocese with that are uh, scattered around, around the country. And we came together here in Tulsa just a couple of weeks ago for our annual convocation. Uh, a lot of business talk, but also a, a lot of dreaming and a lot of imagining the future together. And one of the things that happened in that convocation was we ordained a number of, of deacons, some who call sanctuary home and attend here regularly, and then some who are in other contexts around, around the country. Uh, Dr. Steve Fouché was one of those deacons who was ordained, as well as uh, Derek Offenord as well as uh, Shelby Swanson. And so we have a few new deacons in our midst. Um, so if you've seen some of these folks, uh, they're showing up in, in their own clerical garb, their own collars, and then just going about doing the kinds of work that, that they've always been doing, right? So Derek was up here today, which I thought was great, playing drums in his collar, so, so sweet. Um, Shelby, you know, oftentimes will be back there in her collar working with, with our kids. and so. What I love about this is that it, it emphasizes that everything that we're doing here, from music to standing here and reading the gospel to serving our kids, that all of it is ministry. All of it is in service to God and to, to one another. So it's not as if, you know, some people here are doing ministry and others are just taking care of the kids or, or others are, are just the musicians, right? There is no, those people are just, right? It's, we're all here serving together and being a part of the work that God is doing here. There's also uh, a couple other shifts within our diocese that are really exciting, some things that are going to launch us into the future, as well as uh, launch Sanctuary in uh, a new kind of direction, which I think is, is cool. But uh, you'll hear more about that later. <laughs> I know, I know. All good things, all good things that we're really excited about. I want to uh, pick up from our Old Testament text today. Following the lectionary, this is the, the verse out of Genesis that is prescribed to us. This is the call of Abram, who later becomes Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. This is the word of the Lord. So our lectionary today, it introduces us to two characters, it introduces us to Nicodemus and to Abram. We'll just call him Abraham because we know him as Abraham. So Abraham and Nicodemus. And I think if we're not careful, the tendency for us is going to be to compare these two people. Nicodemus coming 
again, under the darkness of night, and we don't know why it's at night. You know, we usually, we, we've grown up hearing this in a certain kind of way, that the reason Nicodemus comes at night is because he's ashamed or he doesn't want people to see him with Jesus. Or, but there's nothing in the text that actually should lead us to believe there's anything nefarious happening. Like, there's no reason that he would be ashamed of Jesus. For all we know, it's like, it's the time that he could get away <laughs> to go see Jesus. Like, he had to have dinner and, like, put his kids to bed, and this is just the time that was available to him to go talk to Jesus. And he also doesn't do this, I don't think we can say, under the cover of darkness, as if to not be seen, because this entire exchange, the whole conversation happens with other people spectating, with other people observing and watching. When Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you, that the pronoun there is actually plural. It's not just directed to Nicodemus. But still, Nicodemus does come with, with questions which we interpret as a kind of doubt, as a kind of, of curiosity, uncertainty, to be sure. And then Abraham, he's this individual who hears the word of God and then does the word of God. That he hears this call from God and then just goes and he does the thing. So it would be easy for us to read these stories and think, oh, there's Nicodemus. He's the one with the questions and the uncertainties. He's the one who lacked faith. Right, But here's Abraham, here's the one who heard go and he went, who didn't question God, but he obeyed because he was full of faith. Our tendency here is to, again, juxtapose these two people against themselves to say, one is faithless and one is full of faith. Which one will you choose? The text says, so Abram went. God gives him this call on his life. He tells him what he wants him to do. Brief pause. So Abram went. But we don't know what that experience was like for Abraham. In fact, we don't know very much about Abraham up to this point at all. We don't know how he came to know the Lord. We don't know how he came to hear God's voice how to identify God's voice, especially at a time when there are all kinds of gods in these kinds of spaces. How does he know who this God is? How, can, how does he know to trust this God? What's leading him to obedience to this God specifically? We don't know what those first conversations with Sarah, with his wife were like, right? Like, honey, we're going to uproot everything we know and leave because we're going to go become a great nation <laughs> with who well us and where are we going i'm not sure where we're going well how do i know that we're supposed to do this well the lord told me we don't know how long it was from that moment of Abraham hearing until he decides to go. Until that line, so Abraham went. It could have been days, could have been weeks, it could have been years of letting that marinate in his soul, trying to figure out and muster up enough faith and enough courage to go and do that thing that God was calling him to do. But we don't see Abraham's faith worked out in that liminal space. 
We don't know what all that processing was from go and be a nation that will bless other nations to so Abraham went. We don't know everything that he had to process and work out, the conversations that had to be had, the awkwardness of saying to his family and to his own people, we are leaving. And when we don't see it worked out, we can pretty easily assume that Abraham has it all together, that he's someone who hears clearly what God wants him to do, and he acts decisively on that thing that God wants him to do, and then he goes and lives it out faithfully. These are the dots that are in front of us, but there is so much space for us to try and connect those dots. So when we think of the life of someone like Abraham, we, we think of the saints, because we see the way that the church presents the saints to us, right? They are full of this otherworldly resolve toward God and to faithfulness. They are masters of their domain. They know what it is to live faithfully. But saints, we should remember, aren't saints while they're living. They're not experiencing their own lives as the lives of the saints. They're experiencing life from the very same place that you and I experience our lives, from the inside, from this space that's full of, of doubting and uncertainty, full of suffering, difficulty. Think about somebody like, like Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa is someone who was almost famously full of questions, full of her own self-doubt and her doubts about God and God's goodness. That's not performative for someone like Mother Teresa. It's not like a sexy thing to doubt and to question. Like, it's not just like the new trendy thing to do. This is coming from a place of sincere Doubt. It's coming to her as questions that she doesn't have answers to. It's coming to her as mysteries that she can't quite adjust to or make sense of. She's living her life. Abraham is living his life. Nicodemus is living his life in the very same way that you and I do. For us in this story. Nicodemus puts flesh on that experience of faith. He shows us what that lived experience is like between go and so Abraham went. It shows us something of that murky middle of making sense of our lives and making sense of who God wants us to be and how we become those people. We don't know a whole lot about Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, the text tells us. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And we know that he's with Jesus a few times. Once in this account that we heard today where he comes to Jesus at night. And then again, later, he is with Jesus when Jesus is before the Sanhedrin. There at the beginning of Christ's passion. And he's the one who speaks up in defense of Jesus to say, our law tells us that we have to hear these people out before we judge them, call, call, calling everyone to hold on <laughs> just a minute. Let's hear what he has to say. He's the one who speaks up in defense of Jesus. He is what is in the gap 
of Abraham's life. If Abraham is the kind of symbol for us of faithfulness, Nicodemus is what faithfulness looks like in the flesh as it's being worked out. He gives us that gift of seeing this kind of faithfulness. He gives us that gift in letting his story be told this way. When faith starts out for us, just like it started out for Nicodemus, just like it started out for Abraham, it looks like Nicodemus. It looks silly. It looks groping. It looks awkward. It looks afraid. But it is faith that is living. I had a funny experience yesterday. Um, I don't really have time for this, but, and it may not even make all the points that I wanted to make, but it was my life, so I get to tell you about it. Uh, so my daughter, Nora, she's nine, and she loves Fortnite. Um, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Others of you, if that sounds like a mystery, just you can zone out for a couple minutes. And... Our son Rowan, he's four, and he wants to love Fortnite. But, I mean, cognitively, like, he's not fully understanding the concept of the game. Coordination-wise, like, he can't make everything happen that needs to happen. But he loves it. And he's, he's drawn to it in some strange way. So yesterday, we're sitting at home, and he's playing a game as much as he can. And I'm observing it while I'm reading and doing some other things. And I realized that he's so bad at it <laughs> that other players in the game don't know what to do with him. Like, th there's a kind of expectation when you encounter another character, right, another player, that you're like battle this whole thing out. And instead, Rowan is like spinning in circles and jumping and building walls. And... <laughs> People just leave him alone. They don't know what to do with him. And I thought for a moment, isn't that faith? That none of us know what we're doing. None of us know what we're doing. But we're drawn to it from some kind of love for Jesus some kind of love, this attempt to connect with this thing. And so we do it as best as we can. And here's the thing that we all know. If Rowan sticks with it, he's going to get better. He's going to get good at it, right? This is what I want us to hear today. Faith looks like Nicodemus. It looks awkward and full of questions and uncertainty. And that shouldn't make us afraid. That should lead us to a hope that says our faith is living. And the longer we can stick with it, as awkward and uncomfortable as we feel, we're going to get better at it. Not out of skill, not out of some kind of practice that we're engaging in, but because God is faithful to us. So here's what I, again, want you to hear today, that we shouldn't be intimidated. If you feel like you don't know what you're doing or what you're talking about, this is what faith looks like. Again, there are worlds between go and so Abraham went. Worlds between. What are these conversations 
with his father, with Lot, with Sarah, with his other family members, with himself. What matters is that he went, not how he got there. Nicodemus, for us, he seemingly has the complete opposite experience of Abraham. Abraham hears go and he goes. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he makes this confession. We know you are a teacher, but by the end, it's how can this be? Abraham is introduced to faith by way of a a kind of uncertainty that leads to an openness. (laughs) And Nicodemus comes with a kind of question, a, a, a kind of, We think we know who this person is, but it leads to how, how can this be? We expect our experiences with God to give us clarity, to give us a kind of focus, a sense of ourselves, of who we are and who God is and what we're supposed to do. But more often than not, when we come to Jesus, what we're left feeling is just how can this be? How can this be? And isn't it funny that we don't know how this conversation ends between Nicodemus and Jesus, at least Nicodemus's role in the conversation. He comes, he makes his confession. Jesus starts talking. He asks a question. He gets confused by it. He asks another question. And then Jesus kind of just trails off talking and talking and talking and talking. My wife leaned over to me today and said, I didn't know we were reading all of John. Jesus just keeps on talking, and it seems like Nicodemus just kind of fades and falls out of frame for us. We don't know what he's thinking. We don't know what he's feeling when he leaves. If anything, all we know is that he's leaving with more questions than he came with. He came to Jesus again with a confession, with a kind of certainty. We know you are a teacher sent from God, but he leaves supposedly in a cloud of doubt, the darkness of uncertainty. Last night, I came across this poem from, uh, her name is Stevie Smith, titled The Airy Christ, The Airy Christ. And in her poem, she describes a savior. She's talking about Jesus the savior who refuses to harass and browbeat anyone. And it ends with this line, he only wishes they would hear him sing. All of Jesus' interactions, he only wishes that they would hear him sing. Nicodemus comes to Jesus expecting to hear a song. But he's, he's too busy carrying his own melody, his own sense of things, his own understanding about the world and faith. And oftentimes, this is how we approach seasons like Lent. We've journeyed through Advent. We've had this experience of epiphany, and we kind of think we've got it figured out by the time it comes to Lent. Like Nicodemus, we can only move toward God with what we know. We know you are a teacher sent from God. But by the end, we realize that moving toward God, it requires a continual unlearning and learning to ask better questions. Most of us think that the more we press into faith, we will have fewer questions. (laughs) When in reality, we are just learning to ask more questions faithfully 
instead of faithlessly. Quickly, remember when angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah, this is John the Baptist's father, and he comes to him and the angel says, your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son. You are going to name him John. And do you remember what Zechariah says? His response is, how will I know that this is so? How will I know? His response is, is sharp. His response is cutting. And Gabriel responds to him, because you did not believe my words, you will become mute. His question is skeptical. His question is individualistic. How will I know that this is going to happen? It's quick. It's cutting. But when Gabriel comes to Mary, he says, do not be afraid. You've found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son named Jesus. And Mary responds similarly, but altogether differently. She says, how can this be since I am a virgin? Mary still questions. She still wonders how this is going to happen. She's caught up in the wonder of the moment. But her question is trusting. Her question is is personal. Remember, she identifies herself and says, I'm a virgin. How can this be? It's personal, but it's not individualistic. It's curious, but it's not cutting. Nicodemus's first question is skeptical. How can anyone be born after having grown old? You hear the cutting of that question. You hear the sarcasm in that question. Like, oh yeah, okay, (laughs) how? But because he sticks around, he doesn't let his skepticism draw him away from Jesus. He stays and he listens. And his final question echoes the question of Mary, how can this be? Part of what we need is to sit with our own questions long enough that we can start to ask them faithfully and not faithlessly. Not in ways that are full of skepticism or individualism, not in ways that are cutting, but in ways that are trusting and personal and honest, realizing that our questions say more about us than they do about God. Remember what Jesus says to Nicodemus, are you not a teacher of Israel? To us, this sounds biting. This sounds harsh. It sounds like a kind of rebuke that Jesus is bringing against Nicodemus. But Jesus is asking him this question as an an identity-shifting question. He asks the question, did you hear it? He asks it in the negative. Are you not a teacher of Israel? Which is to say, you are a teacher of Israel. Are you living into it? Do you realize it? Do you see this about yourself? Jesus is affirming who Nicodemus is, not drawing it into question. He's not just a teacher from Israel. He is a teacher of Israel, is what Jesus says to him. And it's that seed that's planted in Nicodemus's heart that's allowed to grow into the fullness of who he is meant to be. In this moment of doubting and questioning, skepticism, uncertainty, all of those things are drawing him into the very heart of Jesus so that Jesus can look at him and ask him a question that shifts everything for Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus again comes with a confession. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. But he leaves with nothing but the awareness that he knows nothing. He leaves with nothing but more questions and the echo of Jesus, are you not a teacher of Israel? He leaves wondering now, not about who Jesus is, but about who he is in light of Jesus. By the end, we've seen Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. We've also heard him stand up for Jesus before the Sanhedrin, asking that he not be judged until he's heard. The last time we see Nicodemus at the end is with tears and silence. Nicodemus is there bent down alongside Joseph of Arimathea, who's identified as a a secret disciple. He's bent down alongside Joseph. He's brought myrrh and aloes, and he's wrapping the body of Jesus with spices and linen. The one who came with doubts and questions and skepticisms, he's there tending to Jesus' body. Nicodemus has heard Jesus sing. And that song was now his whole life. John's gospel wants us to see Nicodemus, wants us to remember how he came to be here. This is the one who came to Jesus in the dark, asking questions that he didn't fully understand, receiving answers that really left him unsatisfied. And he wants us to see that we can follow that path. It's the only path we can follow. That we must come to God with what we have, with our confessions, even our bad ones, even our misunderstandings about God. We ask our questions, even when those questions lead us to doubt and from doubting into tearful silence. And in the end, All we're left with is the reality that we have heard Jesus sing and his song has brought us faith. Amen.